0: Good morning everyone. My name is Chris and I'll be reading the Bible for us this morning. Uh, so today's passage is uh, Mark chapter 15 verses 1 to 15, which is p- found on page 904 of the the black Bibles. As soon as it was morning, having held a meeting with the elders, scribes, and the whole Sanhedrin, the chief priests tied Jesus up, led him away, and handed him over to Pilate. So Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, You say so. And the chief priests accused him of many things. Pilate questioned him again, "'Aren't you going to answer? "'Look how many things they are accusing you of!' But Jesus still did not answer, and so Pilate was amazed. At the festival, Pilate used to release for the people a prisoner whom they requested." There was one named Barabbas who was in prison with rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. The crowd came up and began to ask Pilate to do for them as was his custom. Pilate answered them, Do you want me to release the king of the Jews for you? for he knew it was because of envy that the chief priests had handed him over. But the chief priests stirred up the crowd so that he would release Barabbas to them instead. Pilate asked them again, Then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? Again they shouted, Crucify him! Pilate said to them, why, what has he done wrong? But they shouted all the more, crucify him. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them and after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified.
1: Good morning Church at Nine. My name's Chris. I'm the Church at 6.30 minister. It's great to see you this morning. I hope you're enjoying your time with us. If you could keep your Bible open, we'll be looking at Mark 15 and um, asking the question of who is Jesus and what does this mean for us today. Recently, the Holdings bought a puppy and it's become like a fourth child. Uh, For two years, our children have said, we want a dog, we want a dog. Mum, Dad, the deal was, we move to Orange, we get a dog. And they cry out, it's not fair. And of course now, we have a dog. And they need to feed it. And they don't want to feed it. And they cry out, it's not fair. And it's left to Mel and I to care for the dog, our fourth child, And we cry out, it's not fair. As soon as we learn to speak, we get used to one phrase, it's not fair. It's built into our very being, this sense of right and wrong, justice and fairness. And as Australians, we've turned it into a national value. Australia is the land of the fair go. We even sing at our sporting games, Advance Australia Fair. Um, But here's the problem. It's a pipe dream. Life isn't fair. And it doesn't take us long to work it out. I mean, just in the last 12 months. In the last 12 months, I've seen a man beat his own dog. I've seen a woman Scold her own children. Uh, just last year, a coach slapped one of his players on national TV. See, we experience the unfairness of life in our world, in our workplaces, and in our homes. Life seems not fair. In fact, the the world is filled with injustice, and today, as we've read the Bible together, we've come across the most unfair and unjust act in all of human history. Did you see it in verse 15? Look at it again with me. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, he handed him over to be crucified. The greatest injustice is the day when the perfect sinless Son of God was condemned to die while a murderer was set free. So friends, can I ask, what do you do when you see injustice in the world? What do you feel? How do you act when you are treated unjustly? Because today I want us to see that God's king demonstrates his power in silence, submission and as a substitute. He gives us an example to follow when we are treated unjustly. But more importantly, Jesus allows himself to be treated unjustly so that guilty people like you and me can be set free. How about I pray as we look at Mark 15 together? Heavenly Father and gracious God, we thank you for your son Jesus. We thank you for um, his life, death and resurrection recorded in Mark's gospel. And we thank you for your spirit through whom we may understand your word and know how to live. And so, Lord, as we look at Mark 15 and the example of Jesus, the king who is condemned to die... We pray that you would help us to better understand your plan, your purposes, so that we may be set free. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so first point, the king is silent. Um, last week, we finished chapter 14. We we left Jesus... Um, sorry, we saw the plans of the religious leaders to kill Jesus. They are almost complete. In a kangaroo court, With trumped up charges, the high priest asked in chapter 14, Jesus, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And Jesus says, verse 62, I am. To claim to be the Messiah is to claim to have the authority of God. So with this confession, they charge Jesus with blasphemy and sentence him to death. But religious leaders can't execute people. They need the Roman government to do that. So in order to fulfill their plan, they bound Jesus and hand him over to Pilate. Have a look at verse 2. So Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? He answered him, you say so. Now, Pilate was the Roman governor over Israel. Don't think king, um, don't think ruler think more like your local MP. Sure, uh, he can execute someone, um, but he's really just there to keep the peace in this Jewish province of the Roman Empire. And there's a problem here, because you can't bring a theological dispute to a governor. In the same way that you don't go to your local MP, Phil Donato, to settle an argument about the Trinity, you can't go to Pilate to decide if Jesus really is the Messiah. So they change the charge. They call him the king of the Jews. What started as a religious charge in that previous trial has now become a political charge. You see, if they can get Jesus convicted of treason, if they can convict Pilate, convince Pilate that Jesus claims to be the king and a rival to Caesar, then the Romans will have to crucify him. But when Pilate asks him, is this true? Jesus sounds more like Yoda. He says, hmm, you say so. Jesus neither directly affirms it nor denies it. Uh, If we were to read John's gospel, we'd get more of this conversation. Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. So I take it that Jesus' intention is to say something like, well, yes, I am a king, but not the kind of king that you're expecting and then Jesus remained silent in fact did you notice that these are the only three words that Jesus said in our whole bible reading Jesus is completely silent until he hangs on a cross have a look at verse 5 but Jesus still did not answer and so Pilate was amazed The word for amazed here is astonished. It's the same word used to describe people when Jesus has healed them. He is taken back. Pilate is amazed because God's king is silence. Which goes against everything we've seen in Mark's gospel, hasn't it? I mean, in Mark 11, Jesus uses his power and authority to judge the temple. In Mark 12, Jesus uses his power and authority to judge the religious leaders. In Mark 14, Jesus uses his power and authority to defend himself in front of the Sanhedrin. But here, Jesus is silent. You see, there is something greater going on here. In fact, God is doing something greater. 700 years before Jesus was alive, God gave a promise through the prophet Isaiah. He said this in Isaiah 53 verse 7. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, and like a sheep silent before her shearers, he did not open his mouth. 700 years before Jesus walked on earth, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah, a message, a message of hope. That salvation would come through judgment. And the one who would bring salvation is a promised suffering servant. Maybe you've heard of that before. And this suffering servant is one who would be silent. They would be judged. Whose death would be a guilt offering for sin and will accomplish the plans of the Lord. So friends, can you see what Jesus is doing? When you look at the silence of the king, don't think weak. Don't think inactive. Remember, God is doing something through this king. In standing silent before Pilate, Jesus takes on the role of the suffering servant to fulfill the promise of Isaiah 53. You know, there is a fearful and weary silence on the battlefield when there is defeat. There is a sad and eerie silence at a funeral when there is no hope in Jesus Christ. But this is none of those. This is a silence of the servant king, a silent determination to fulfill God's plan of salvation. And so the king is silent and submits himself to the deeds of evil men, which is our next point. Have a look at verse 6 with me. At the festival, Pilate used to release release for the people a prisoner whom they requested. There was one man named Barabbas who was in prison with the rebels who had committed murder during the rebellion. Uh, Americans have very strange traditions and none more than the pardoning of the Thanksgiving turkey. Have you heard about this? Uh, Every November in this bizarre ceremony, public ceremony, Someone gifts the US president a turkey, and he pardons it, and he lets it go free. It sounds strange to pardon a turkey, or to pardon a criminal, or a criminal turkey, whatever. But Pilate has a same tradition, where he releases a prisoner once a year. Now, we're not told why, but I take it it's political. That is to say, it's a display of power. It's a flex. Pilate knows that there's an obvious candidate this year. It's Jesus. In verse 10, Pilate knows that Jesus is on trial because of the envious religious leaders. And by verse 14, it's clear that Pilate thinks that Jesus is innocent. He can't see any reason for Jesus to be crucified. So he offers the crowd Jesus, but they they ask for Barabbas instead. Now, Barabbas is a nasty piece of work. The Gospels tell us that he's a notorious prisoner. He's a revolutionary. He's a murderer. And Mark's Gospel even tells us that he's a rebel. So what decision does Pilate make? Well, have a look at verse 12. Pilate asks them again, then what do you want me to do with the one you call the king of the Jews? And again, they shouted, crucify him. This is bizarre. Pilate is meant to be the judge, but he refuses to make a judgment. He refuses to make a stand on who Jesus is, and he avoids making a decision completely. The crowd becomes the judge. He hands it over to them. They get to decide, or as one writer puts it, the governor now becomes the governed. And Jesus, God's king, the promised Messiah, with all the authority of God, submits to this earthly government and we find this strange don't we we find this unfair we find this even unjust I mean you could hear it in Chris's words as she read the Bible this morning it's just not fair what kind of king is silent and submits surely he would defend himself The Apostle Peter helps us to understand this in his letter in 1 Peter. He says this, For you were called to this because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He did not commit sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was insulted, he did not insult in return, and when he suffered, he did not threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. You see, Jesus submits to Pilate, the leaders, and even to the crowd because ultimately he is entrusting himself to God the Father. He is submitting to God the Father's plan of salvation and he knows that God will be faithful and carry him through, which means Jesus has not lost his power here. Jesus has not lost his power as he submits to these other people. Jesus as God's king demonstrates his power in silence and in submission, which then becomes an example for us, Peter says. That's because our 21st century individualistic culture teaches us to value autonomy and freedom and free choice above everything and everyone else. So when our autonomy is threatened, we use our power to strike back. When our freedom is challenged, we double down on our own rights. When our free choice is limited, we cry out, well, that's not fair. And it goes beyond just parents complaining about a dog to their children. We see it on Facebook, don't we? When people are threatened with hate by calling others, saying that other people have hate speech. You see it in our workplaces, when colleagues talk behind a manager's back. And you see it in our families when one person demands their rights above all other people. And as Jesus stands before Pilate, falsely accused, treated unjustly, he doesn't do any of this. Jesus entrusts himself to God the Father so that he may submit to others. And in this way, Jesus becomes a model for us as Christians to follow. Now, to be clear, we aren't saying that we're called to be martyrs in silence and we're not called to bear the burden of violence and harm, no. But when treated unfairly, when insulted and persecuted for bearing the name of Jesus, we don't use our power to strike back. We don't double down on our own rights. We don't cry out, it's not fair because that's the way of the world. And we don't belong to the world, we belong to Jesus. And so we follow his example and entrust ourselves to God the Father who judges justly. I was thinking, how would that relate to us this week? Well, friends, as this week, as you pray for the people in your life who don't know Jesus, as you look for opportunities to invite them to our Easter services, as you share your faith and your life, with the people that God has put in your life. As you're mocked, as we are avoided, as people politely roll their eyes at us, don't take it to heart. Look to the example of Jesus Christ. Entrust yourself to God the Father who judges justly and continue to share the message of Jesus with those that he's put in your life. That's because Jesus is not just an example for us to follow. He's also our substitute, which is our third point. Have a look at verse fifteen with me. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them, and after having Jesus flogged, he handed them over to be—he handed him over to be crucified. We've already seen that Jesus is God's king with power and authority. That he's silent and submits, and with Barabbas, we understand why. Can you see it? The innocent is judged, but the guilty is saved. The innocent is condemned, but the guilty goes free. The innocent receives death and the guilty receives life. Which is really interesting because this is how the prophet Isaiah spoke about it in Isaiah 53. We'll go back to Isaiah 53. He said, because he was willingly submitted to death, And was counted among the rebels, yet he bore the sin of many and interceded for the rebels. In Mark 10, Jesus said that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. And like a child coloring in their coloring book, Mark displays in vivid colors what that looks like. That at the heart of the cross, Is God's king dying in our place as our substitute? That Jesus died in the place of rebels so they could be set free. Now, of course, we don't need to be a murderous insurrectionist to feel the weight of this. We just need to be human. And we need to be honest with our sin. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fall short of God's standard. And we are not perfect, no one is perfect. But more to the point, we say and think things that displease God. We live in a way, with, uh, we live with ourselves as king. We fail to do the things that he calls us to do and we don't want to please him as we should. And if we believe in fairness, if we believe in justice, then wrongs need to be made Right. So our failure needs to be punished. You see, it should have been us on that cross. But rather than us being punished with the cross of Jesus Christ, God gives us a new way. Since the innocent one was punished by death, guilty rebels like you and I, we can go free. Jesus' death on the cross is the greatest substitute ever. If you remember during the pandemic... Ordering, on sh- uh, ordering our shopping online became necessary for a lot of people, and there was all these fabulous stories about supermarkets substituting things for people and famously getting it wrong. A friend of mine ordered spring flowers, and they got spring onions. His wife was not impressed. Uh, I mean, also ordering flowers. On, anyway, um, another ordered popcorn and got a bag of potatoes. I heard of one person who ordered a loaf of bread and received a whole octopus instead. Terrible, terrible substitutes. But in God's word this morning, friends, we see the greatest substitute. 1 Peter puts it like this. For Christ also suffered for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. You see, Jesus is God's king who displays his power in silence, in submission, but also as our substitute. He dies on the cross, taking the penalty for our sin so that we can go free and have a relationship with God. So what does it mean for you and me? Well, you see, we like to play the blame game, don't we? And I think we're good at the blame game because we learn it for our parents. In fact, we learn the blame game from all the generations that go back to our first parents, our first mother and father, Adam and Eve. Because as they were caught in sin, they played the blame game as well. The sin and evil was not their fault, it was the fault of someone else. But who is to blame for the death of Jesus? Well, it's not the religious leaders, it's not the Romans, it's not the crowd it's you, and it's me, and it's everyone. In fact, it's all of us together. It's the Romans, the leaders, the crowd, it's us. That's because we are all helpless rebels in need of God's forgiveness. And today we see that God, in his great love, has provided us a great saviour in Jesus Christ. You see, Jesus doesn't save self-reliant, self-dependent and self-empowered, powerful people. He, see, he saves weak people who come to him like children, who are willing to rely on him and to be dependent on him, who turn and trust from living, who turn from their own life and their own ways and being their own king and to trust in him. I'll leave you with a song that a Christian songwriter called Nathan Tasker wrote called Call Me Barabbas. He said this in the chorus, Call me Barabbas because that's who I am. All I deserve has been given to him. The guilty set free, the innocent must die. A lifetime of sinning was all that I know. I should have been killed but Jesus let me go. And I can't forget the death of that man. He set me free. Call me Barabbas, and that's who I am. You see, maybe this morning you are like Pilate, unwilling to make a decision on who Jesus is. Maybe this year you've joined us for church and you've been visiting us, investigating who Jesus is, but you've been putting it off week after week after week. Friends, stop putting it off. Maybe this week... Is the week that you track down Tim Goldsmith, put his arm behind his back and say, can we do simply Christianity? Maybe this is the week that you investigate and make a decision on who Jesus is. Maybe you're someone who sees themselves in the crowd. You know, you just swept along with the crowd and the culture and what everyone else says about Jesus and does. Maybe today is the day that you step out from the crowd and think for yourself. Perhaps today is the day that you decide to follow Jesus. or maybe you're already a Christian and you think, well, this is fundamental stuff, yes, but it's time to move on from the cross. Can I say that would be a terrible mistake for you to do? Because in Mark 15, where are the disciples of Jesus? They have left him. They have left him alone. But Jesus, in his great love and mercy, goes to the cross so they can be forgiven, set free, and brought back to God. Maybe today is the day that you come back to God and walk with Jesus more faithfully. How about I pray that God would help us to see this great substitute, delight in it, thank God for it, and cling to it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father and gracious God, We thank you for your son, Jesus. We thank you for the pain that he so patiently bore. We thank you for his silence as the suffering servant. We thank you that he submitted to your plan and above all was our substitute. And so thank you for the cross of Christ. Lord, help us to cling to that cross and delight in it this morning. Help us to see that it is the only way back to you. Lord, by your spirit, give us faith and repentance so that we may walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen.